Welcome back to another episode of the Balcony Chatter Podcast. Actually, the 100th episode of the Balcony Chatter Podcast. I am your host, Andrew McKenney, with my co-host, Tim Taylor. And we are here to... Let's take a walk down memory lane this week. Um, This is kind of like an all-star, our all-star game, our all-star episode where... We're going to go through some of our favorite moments of the show uh, and what we've learned and what we've, you know, accomplished with this show and what we hope to do in the future, too. So, I mean, let's get into a little bit of uh, current information before we do that. We'll talk about the Bruins. We'll talk about the Celtics. There's a few things to talk about and to touch on before we get into it. But, you know, I'm excited for this episode. I don't know how you're feeling about it, but. This is I I never thought that we were I mean I was hopeful we would get to a hundred and I'm yeah, hopeful same. that we get to two hundred but you know this is it's a milestone it's a massive milestone I'm proud of us we started this you know on other sides of the country we consider we continue to do it on other sides of the country pre pandemic uh, pre pandemic and it's been a blast I mean you know the ups and downs of these squads uh, you know no no highest highs for sure since we've started this podcast and as far as uh, Boston sports championships go close, um, right? I, very close. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's just, it's been a blast and it's like, it's like therapy for us and to engage with you guys has kind of been the whole point. And so thanks to everyone for all the guests for coming on and everybody for listening to this point. And here's to the next hundred, man, we're, we're going to keep going. I said, I don't, I see no reason not to, and uh, you guys keep us going and we appreciate that. But I will say before we have a, Lovely strut down memory lane since I missed you last week due to tickets to a Penguins Kings <laughs> slaughter fest at the hands of the Kings. Uh, I, I feel I feel like we need to we need to do a, just a a, a a spat of Celtics talk and therefore some negativity up top, and then we can then let's have a nice strut down memory lane. I hey, don't want to end on the bad note. Hey, I said last week that there was probably going to be some Celtics stuff for us to catch up on, and I think that that's true. And I wanted to leave that for this week so that you could give me your thoughts. And I know that there's some... I know that you have some, and I know that there's a lot of speculation going on around the team as far as who's available for trades and, and whatnot. So a, a trade that's happened. And a trade that's happened. We have a trade. So let's Um, let's get into it. Let me know what let me hear what you got. All right. So I'd like to start by saying that um what I what I've continued to say for all time, but I'd like to say it through somebody who wore green and white for quite a while and his number sits in the rafters and Oddly enough, his nickname is The Truth. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about Paul Pierce, who said, you do not trade away either of the All-Stars when you have two All-Stars. That is the fact. With that, today a tweet came out that essentially anybody is available on the Boston Celtics, with the exception of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Bob Bill. I, I would it. add one more name to that list. I love it too. I would add one more name to that list. Now, oh, I understand yeah, why I bet, you can't. I bet you would. Who is it? I bet I bet you I, here, here's the thing, Andrew. <laughs> Eat your words, pal. You're gonna be surprised. Okay. It's Josh Richardson. Whoa. 
Marcus Smart can get traded at this juncture. I'm I'm okay if the deal is correct. I love him. I will always love him. I think he has done things that make him a forever Celtic. But if he's on the table, he's on the table. But Brad's going to keep winning these trades. I just mentioned there was a new trade. I think, again, it's a W. Wancho is never going to play. You and I were both confused. We're like, this seems like a great you know, guy at the four. We're lacking guys at the four. I mean, Horford is proving to not be you know, Benjamin Button, like we thought he was for a little bit. He's his age is starting to show. Um, we traded a guy for two injured players. Yes. But one of them has the potential to be a good spark off the bench. And the other one is bowl bowl. I think that's fascinating and interesting. And you're trading away a guy who's got a pretty fat contract and isn't getting a single, he, he's not even getting garbage minutes. Really? He's barely getting the end. Of, he, he was getting taco fall minutes, maybe less. You know, so you trade him for two injured players. I hear how it sounds. It's a win from Brad again. It's salary cap relief. It's a potential in PJ Dozier. And it's an it's taking a flyer on ball ball. It's not going to hurt you in the long run. I like the trade to me. Excuse me. G, uh, GM Brad, President Brad is still undefeated at this time. Right now. He has not taken an L. Is there ties? Is there draws? Yes, absolutely. But he has not done a move that is taking an L to this point. And him making everyone but the Jays and Robert Williams available makes me feel like I am in safe hands because at this juncture, something needs to happen. I've been saying it for weeks. The best supporting cast around the Jays is right now. And they struggle to play well on the same night. But when they play well on the same night, it's over. They need a third guy. We need some third score. It's not Josh Richardson. It damn sure ain't Marcus Smart. There, there needs to be a third guy. All these great winning teams, going back to the 2008 Celtics, have a third guy. There is no third guy. I think this team is a different story with third guys, and I think the rest of the supporting cast almost doesn't matter at this point. Is, is this what I've talked myself into? Maybe. I, know I don't you've know. You've officially joined the dark side here. I have joined the dark side because it's exciting, and I feel alive from it. And the fact <laughs> that Brad's ready to do anything and everything, I'm, I'm buckled in, dude. I don't I like Dude, I, I think I love be good it. moves. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's shake this up. Keep the two all stars on your team. Keep the guy who might be defensive player of the year in the near future. And let's go. I, I mean, it's just I'm ready to rock. But I, I do think Jason Jason Richardson is a better scoring Marcus Smart. His defense is incredible and, and it's so underspoken. But he is a lockdown clamp defender who can lock down. Maybe he can't play fives like Marcus can. I don't think we really need him to when you got Bob Bill out there. You know what I mean? So even even on switches, I'm not that worried about it. But even so, I've seen him play some bigs and strip the ball from him. You know, like I'm I want to keep those four guys. And then if if you could sell Dennis to a team that'll overpay for him as he can be that little extra push over the top. We're recording this as we just lost a game where the we, I got to watch Jason and Jalen go two for 18 from three. Whoo. So fun. Um, and uh, Dennis had, was the highest score in the game. I, I love Dennis. It's clearly this isn't our year, and this is the only year we're going to have Dennis Schroeder. If we can get something for him, we should. Um, I'm ready. I'm excited. And yeah, I'm I I'm officially. Uh, it's got to be the right deal. I'm I'm not saying just get rid of him, but if there's a demand and a payment for Marcus Smart out there, I'm I'm willing to hear it out. I can tell that your Celtics brain is on fire. Because you said Jason Richardson, not Josh Richardson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jason <laughs> Richardson. Shout out to Jason Richardson, though. A great former NBA player. <laughs> yeah. Guy could dunk like no tomorrow. Um, 
I dude, that's where I'm at. We're we're it's a fire sale, and I'm ready to do it. And right now we're looking like we're staring at the play, and and let's stare at the play in with a completely whacked up, whacked out team. We I, if we can make a trade to get a third guy, amazing. God, do I think it's there? Probably not. But let's get better pieces. Let's build for the future. Unless there's something there. I mean, I think we're calling it a year, but we're not tanking. And that's, I think, the best thing for this team to do is to mix it up, see see how you can better position yourself for next year, not just run it out at this point. And I, I didn't think I'd say it. I, I wanted to give everybody a year, including Ime, but I just let's this this is not working. It's just not working. We we've blown games in the last few minutes. We haven't closed out games. I think you close out those games and we're still not a threat. I know uh, the Hornets were rolling going into this game. I still think that that's a team we should beat. Um, if not handily, you know, without question. And so I'm ready, man. I I've, I'm, I'm, I've joined the dark side, dude. I know I'm, I'm loving it. Well, McDonald's not a sponsor, but if you want to be a sponsor. Yeah. And shout out to Big Mac for a great, great year. <laughs> yeah. Big Mac Jones. Um, we're not going to get into that, but no, we are not good year. Good year for the rookie. I will say this though, before we, we, we take this little stroll here. I want to talk about the Bruins a little bit. Uh, yeah, let's do it. I mean, it, it's it's rough because I feel like if we had recorded on time last week where something happened Wednesday, we would have had a lot of good stuff to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a time, there was a moment in the last 10 days where I was back in love with both of these teams. It was weird. Celtics won, I think, three in a row. Bruins did four. Well, uh, we've only lost two. We've only lost two out of 10 games. Right, which doesn't feel as well when the last one was seven to two. But well, seven to one, seven to one. But I don't even want to talk about the score. I what I do want to talk about is Willie O'Ree retirement night. I so mean, cool. it, it was such a great job. They I'm always so, do a I good mean, I'm job. Jealous. That's awesome. You got to be there. Yeah, that. man. That's, they they always do a good job with retiring numbers and the nice ceremonies and whatnot. Unfortunately, Willie wasn't there. He kind of was zoomed in from his house, which I believe they said was in San Diego, which um, is. I understand not being able to travel, and the guy is eighty six I mean, years old. It's not; it's a stupid thing to do. If, if anyone finds that insulting, to be an eighty six year old who, yeah, the new strain is not as bad. He could die. By Probably the way, looks like he's sixty something years old. Guy looks great. Yeah, he does. He does. When you when you look up in the rafters and you see the the years he played, you are like, wait, what? Yeah, exactly. I thought he was. I thought that's the years he was born. What do you? <laughs> no, <laughs> it was so, it was awesome, man. It was really cool, and it was a great night to be at. I mean, I've, I've been at a few banner raisings at this point and it's always a good time. And, you know, you're watching history being made. I mean, he already made history with what he's done and what he continues to do for the sport of hockey. And we love it, you know, and it's, it's so good for the sport and, and everything. And, you know, he went through so much to, to get to where he is and to be able to set that, you know, he broke the color barrier for the NHL. Exactly, you know, set it's, it's it up honor for... for his his name to be able to be in our rafters. Totally, and I think it's totally deserving. And past to break due. a color barrier, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, and I'm not saying anything about this guy's statistics, but like, I feel like some people like look at Jackie Robinson and then look at this and might say like, "All right, we're retiring his number." Yes, you retire his number. You Absolutely, have no idea the social uh, difficulties, the the stigma, everything, the, the amount of shit that guy probably had to go through to get to where he was and he stood tall and proud and fought through it 
amazing. The absolute it should have it should have maybe should have been sooner. Regardless, it's done now. Shout out to Willie. That that's awesome, and I'm I'm so glad you got to be there for that. Yeah, it was great. I'm glad that they did it. Uh, and it makes you wonder who's going to be the next person to get their number raised to the rafters. We threw that out there. Yeah, we got we a lot of, out there on the old IG. Got some. Uh, we got a lot offenders. of answers for number thirty-three. Yeah, as as he should be. Um. I think he should, based on, uh, you know, statistics and, uh, you know, just how long he wore the C and what he meant to the organization. I absolutely think Chara should. I think that Bergeron and Chara are a lock. And then you get to Marshan, who's, I mean, he's making the case think, for himself every single year. I think I think by in five, like in two to three to five years from now, we're calling him a lock. Right. You know, I, I, I think he's on his way to that. I mean, you know, you listen to Spit and Chicklets, Ryan Whitney's called Brad Marchand a guaranteed Hall of Famer already. And he, he I, absolutely I think we're at, is. At the, and I think we're at the, what, the ass end of his prime still? I mean, he certainly hasn't fallen off. Right. You know? So to be called a Hall of Famer at this juncture, I just think is, you know, says something. And those are the type of guys who find their numbers in rafters. So I would be, I'd be surprised if Brad Marchand wasn't up there someday. Me too. But let's get into this, man. We've had a really good 100 episodes. You know, we had a lot of really cool guests, people that we always, you know, we admire. And they they took the time out to come on and talk with us and, you know, give us a little piece of their history of, of playing hockey and or or other sports, too. I mean, we've talked to a couple of people about basketball. You know, we've we've talked to sports broadcasters and bloggers and stuff and and friends of ours uh, it's just it's been a really fun time doing all of these episodes in a hundred pretty much it feels like it flew by yeah and by the way in terms of getting our friends on and anybody on just a reminder to hit us up leave voicemails yes. hit us up whenever we will play those always so if you want to get in the conversation you're always we're always open the door's always open please get us get involved and we look forward to having not only a lot more guests but a lot more friends on you know it's i think it's it's great when we get the other team perspectives in here and um i think we're you know we, we should probably come playoff time go knocking on some of those uh simulcasts we did with some of those other hockey fan podcasts yeah absolutely and i think people like that too because <laughs> still Jack Herzog, legend on the Balcony Chatter podcast. Shout out to Jack. <laughs> Soon to be a New York native. Oh, he's moving. He's moving to New York. We're going to have to phone him in unless you uh, you hit him up on the road. Wow. Go see a, Net, go see a Nets game with him. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, I mean, I have a bunch of favorite episodes, and I know that you have some really cool stuff that you like, too, in, in all the ones that we've done. But the one I want to start out with is, is a couple – stories from Bobby Robbins because Bobby really was the first one to give us a you know the time of day to talk with us about playing in the NHL and playing in the AHL and really sharing his story and his battles and all of that and it was super appreciative we're super appreciative of that and I mean the guy has great stories and I would love to yeah. hear more and I hope in the future that we get to hear more I think we will. You know, we, we keep a good relationship with him, which has just been amazing. And to hear his story firsthand like that and how open he was about everything, uh, you know, as someone who doesn't even really 
fully see eye to eye with a lot of his beliefs. I just think his story is absolutely beautiful, and and you can't you can't knock someone who's you know come and gone through what they've gone through and turned out like Bobby. He's a hell of a guy for the hockey community, especially up in Minnesota nowadays. And um, yeah, I mean that, that it was it was just it was it, it blew my mind. I, all of these guests have been amazing, and I can't believe we get them and stuff. But you know, for Bobby to come in as our first guest and just really kind of still to this moment do something that no one else really did and tell us show us something that no one else really showed us it's it's yeah it continues to be one of my favorites for sure so i really enjoyed when he told us about when he was at umass lowell and he was trying to kind of further his hockey career and he started to realize that they were doing a lot of complaining over there and it wasn't really working out for what he wanted to achieve and he told us this story about how it helped him to change his mindset a little bit and you know, it really went a long way for him. So I learned early on to, to give it every day 100%. Man, all of a sudden, seven days later is a week, and then four of those is a month, and then six, seven, eight of those, and it's a hockey season. And if you get a little bit better every single day, it, it really adds up. And I know it's kind of corny, and we've all heard it before. Like, yeah, you just get better every day. But I, I found that if I implemented that, and I was like, all right, as long as I'm taking steps in the right direction every single day, and compounding that and, and adding to it every single day man I was like I went from you know tier three to the USHL and I was like whoa this could really happen I want to play college hockey and so I implemented that in the USHL probably one of the worst guys on the team skill wise but I was tough and I worked hard I, I gave it everything I had every day and then all of a sudden I was at UMass Lowell signed a, a partial scholarship 40 percent scholarship with an option that you know based on performance it would go up if if it was warranted and so I was uh, I came into UMass Lowell as a freshman and didn't play the first five or so games I was a healthy scratch one of the worst terms in hockey is the healthy <laughs> scratch man oh it hurts my soul just to hear it <laughs> you know that mean that means the on the roster board you're way at the bottom somewhere on like the fifth or sixth line they write your name Bobby Robbins on the board and I'm healthy I'm ready to go coach but they they draw a line through it and scratch it out that's what a healthy scratch is. Oh. Basically, epitomizes the the notion that you're not just you're not good enough, buddy. And so, healthy scratch first five games, and I noticed I was at UMass Lowell, and I started complaining. I was in a group of the guys who weren't playing, and and we were out one day complaining, and I had this epiphany moment where I was like, "Oh man, I'm one of the complainers right now. I'm in the complaining group. This is not good." And I I separated myself from that, and I made a promise to myself that day. I said, "I will never complain again." I will never do this. If if Coach Blake McDonald, if Coach isn't going to play me, I tell you what, I'm going to play tomorrow's practice like it's game seven. And so I got, and I was just a freshman, you know, you're kind of nervous. You don't want to rub people the wrong way. Man, I came out there on like a, a random Wednesday flow practice, and I was flying, man. And I was, <laughs> I was playing with snarl and piss and vinegar and getting in people's faces and lay in the body like I was I've always been a checker and I was laying people out I remember I smoked one of the big captains on the team and I was just laying guys out playing like a, a menace you know and like like how I play how I gotta play yep and I tell you what man next that next weekend I was in the lineup and never left the lineup except for suspensions here and there for for big checks but um <laughs> freshman year freshman year I got in and and, you know, just kind of, like, learn learn college hockey. That's a big step from junior, D1 in Hockey East. And then, you know, sophomore year, battled a few injuries, but gained knowledge and experience. 
And then what you were talking about, Andrew, you said it was ever that moment. And I never really even thought about about um, the NHL or anything. I remember, you know, I never watched the Bruins. I was a Red Wings fan, man. Stevie Y, Sergey Fedorov. Those were, that was my crew in the 90s because I lived in the border town with right. the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So I was always watching the Red Wings and, you know, never really knew much about the Bruins until I came out to UMass Lowell and, the, you know, the guys would be watching them on TV and never really, it was just like a thing like, oh yeah, the Bruins are on, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm, I got my life, I'm living here. And um, my my junior year, I kind of had a big year. I had nine goals, nine assists in, in hockey, which is pretty good, pretty decent numbers. And um, my buddy on my team, Kim Bramble, the big Norwegian guy, uh, this guy was a, was a machine He's actually the skills coach now for the Boston Bruins, which is pretty pretty crazy. And we came into UMass Lowell as freshmen together, lived on the 17th floor at Fox Hall, and you know really know each other. That's my brother. Junior year, I'm sitting in the in the locker room after the season. You know, it was a, it was a good season. We were top ten at one point in the country, and we uh, we beat we swept BC. They're number one. We beat them in a home and home, and we we celebrate celebrated like we won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, that's pretty be awesome. Big. And, <laughs> It was awesome. We were we were rocking the streets of Lowell for sure, and um, I'm sitting there in the locker room, man, and and there was a sign that was in the locker room, and it said, "I can, I will," in these, in these giant blue letters. And I had seen it a million times, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I can, I will." That's kind of that's cool. That's inspiring. And then Kim Bramble, he came up to me. He goes, "You know, Bobby, if you double that amount of goals you got next year, you'll be in the NHL." And I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, dude, you score 18 goals in Hockey East, you will be in the NHL. And that was an aha moment for me. That was a click. It just clicked in my brain. I said, whoa, I only have to score 18 goals. I double my goals, and I'll be in the NHL. And, like, I looked it up. I looked up the stats of, you know, rugged power forwards who tuck 18 goals. And I'm like, they're in the NHL. And that's the day. And then I remember I looked up at that sign that said, I can, I will. And I embraced that, man. That became my pulse. I can make it to the NHL. I will make it to the NHL. Wow. And I just became obsessed, really, and and became so laser-focused on that that I'm, I was walking to campus, on, you know, taking the bus to South Campus. I got my earbuds in. Back in those days, I had a mini-disc player because that was just awesome, and I had a mini-disc player. and <laughs> And I was just rocking, and in my mind, I'm just saying, I can make it to the NHL. I will make it to the NHL, and I can't wait to get on the ice. And like, and I just became consumed with it. And that's when it really clicked. I took it to the next level. I took my training, I took my diet, my nutrition, game film, hockey strategy. I became consumed with making the NHL, and repeating that that saying over and over. I can, I will, I can, I will. And then it just progressed, all that hard work, those daily steps in that direction toward that goal. It really came to fruition my senior year. I got the captain spot and just had a breakout season, leading scorer on the team, you know, male student athlete of the year, MVP, fan favorite award, University of Maine, most uh, respected opponent, the um, University of Minnesota Mariucci tournament, all tournament team. It was just me and five Golden Gophers out there on the blue line getting the trophy. Wow, and all these accolades it comes in this huge year, and I I leave school early. I go out and play in the American Hockey League with the Binghamton Senators. Really have a good five weeks, sixteen games, tuck some goals and some points. Have a really big fight against a veteran fighter, Jamie Pusher, and I just smoked him in the face pretty good and showed that I could that I could fight too. And all of a sudden, it all just happened, and I signed an NHL deal 
that summer in July with the Ottawa Senators. Wow. And I was like, this is, it's happening. Here we go. Man, I, I find myself kind of like getting lost in, in the story because, you know, we didn't really have to do a lot of talking in that interview, if if you remember, because... Oh, yeah. Like, he, he just tells the story so well that it kind of grabs you and you just paid so close attention to whatever he's saying and he can just go on and on and it was it was awesome it's like hockey sermons yeah <laughs> yeah kind of yeah no i i agree man and uh hell you know just hell of a st- story of just pulling yourself up from your bootstraps and and being enough to get into the nhl you know obviously he had a lot of talent but it, it just shows that that doesn't really matter like where work ethic is really where it comes in and uh you know he was a dog, man. Really, he's just a dog. It's awesome. Yeah, to be honest with you, uh, you know, after the fact of doing the interview with him, I wish that I was living here while he was playing for UMass Lowell. I mean, I feel like I, I drive by it every day. It would have been cool to be going to some of those games and catching some of what was going on at the time. You know, absolutely. But I had hey, not another reason to, to, you know, maybe check in on some youth hockey. You know, who's, who's to say there isn't the next Bobby Robin somewhere out there, you know, Absolutely. somewhere nearby, for especially where you're at, you know? Sure. Not a lot of SoCal college hockey I, I can hit up <laughs> out here or that I should hit up anyway. Right. Another one that really stuck out to me when, when I think about this interview and think about this episode with Bobby was him talking about him going to Providence, him getting a shot to play in Providence and taking his first shift and hearing what the team and what the coaching staff kind of expected of him and how it turned out when he finally got to play for Providence and, you know, getting his first fight and getting his first, like I said, his first shift and getting on the ice and and all that. So that was one of my other favorite stories that I would love to revisit here. And then it finally had happened, man. 30 years old, 29 years old, right after Christmas, I got the call up to Providence and Don Sweeney told me to pack my bags for a week. And uh, funny story. So I was like, all right, we didn't tell anybody on, on my team in Chicago, just my coach knew. So we were on a road trip out to, uh, out to Toledo to play against the walleye. And, um, you know, I, I went out there, I played against Tory Krug's brother out there, actually, <laughs> who's a, who's a tough dude, uh, Matt Krug. And, we had had a bunch of fights. Uh, we had two fights before that, and I was like, I think I'm going to fight him for the get the hat trick here. But then I was like, you know what? I'm going to save my knuckles. I'm getting called up. I'm leaving after the game to go out to Providence. So I just played played good hockey, and you know, the team left me in a hotel, and and I was like, this is it. This is it. This is happening. The hockey adventure. Like this is starting. This dream that I had two years ago of, of making this comeback. It sounded ridiculous. I was already 30 years old, which is a dinosaur in hockey years. And, um, and I was happening, I'm getting called up and I was, I was scared. I was like, man, can I even play in the AHL anymore? Like there's some big boys. It's a big jump in hockey and a big jump in the fights, you know, in the fighters in those leagues. And I got up there, flew from, took a, a shuttle from the airport or from the hotel to the airport in Detroit, flew from Detroit to Providence got picked up in Providence, brought to the dunk downtown Providence, loaded up on a bus, drove up, ate some greasy, like, I don't even know what it was, some greasy burger at one of those uh, Irish pubs right right down from the, the dunk, and got on a bus and drove up to Portland to play against the Portland Pirates. And I get up there, and I that's when I first met uh, Butch uh, Bruce Cassidy, 
and uh, didn't know who he was. You know, knew he obviously is the head coach. So he calls me in the office and he says, you know, Bobby, you know, that we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. You know, you're a good hockey player. You know how to play hockey. Uh, you know, just uh, give you a heads up. There's a guy out there, Ryan Hallwig. He knocked uh, knocked our captain out with a concussion, and he's just been a real thorn in our side. And just keep an eye out for him. And I just I kind of interrupted him. I said, I got him, coach. I got him. <laughs> and so the funny thing is, is that my rookie year with the Binghamton Senators, we, I had a meeting with my coach, and they're like, you need to play like this guy. Like, like if you want to play in the NHL, you got to be Ryan Hallway. And so I watched him when he was playing um, for the Rangers, and he was ha- he had all these um, huge fights with Colt Knorr, and he was a tough guy, and I was I, he was my guy. I watched him. I was like, I want to be Ryan Hallway. You know, like I'm a little bigger, but just skate around like a heat-seeking missile, smash, and when it comes time, fight. And, uh, you know, obviously, but be dependable in the defensive zone and play good hockey. But, you know, at the end of the day, be a checker. And now all of a sudden I'm playing against him. I'm like, oh, man, I'm fighting Ryan Holwick tonight. And I was really nervous. And uh, first shift of the, uh, my first shift, I was on the fourth line. I finally get off the get off the ice. I make a beeline from the – get onto the ice. I make a beeline from the bench toward the, the offensive zone where the puck was. And just the timing of things. I mean, you know, I – now I know it was all God's timing on this, but I didn't understand why it was all happening back then. But my first shift as a Providence Bruin, Ryan Hallway is a left winger. He's he's skating up the ice in his defensive zone on his left side wall, right about the hash mark, between the hash mark, top of the circles and the blue line. And his defenseman rims a puck around, gives him an absolute grenade. This thing is just bouncing on end. And he's turned back with his head all the way turned to his left, reaching back for this puck right at the moment that I'm flying off the bench 100 miles an hour <laughs> and I drove my shoulder right into his throat, like right into his neck and upper chest and just blew him up. The biggest hit ever. And he's flying, everything went in slow motion. He's flying backward. And before he's even, he's still airborne flying backward. And I hear him go, we're going. <laughs> and he's, his gloves are flying off. It was like the Matrix, man. That always happened to me in fights. The Matrix would, would engage, and it would just slow down. He's flying backward. We're going. The gloves fly off. I, I shed the bucket and the gloves, and I'm standing there. I'm, I'm ready. Like I'm, I'm willing to die for this, man. I, I've trained for this harder than I've ever trained. I can. I will. Like This is the real deal. This is my life and livelihood. And I'm looking at this guy, Ryan Holweg, who I'd watched all his fights, and I was scared of him. And um, he's got this big Viking beard, these really intense eyes. And I'm squared up, and he throws this left punch that just misses the tip of my nose. Throws a little left hook, and it, it, like, it came so close, and it came so fast, it kind of surprised me. It made a sound through the air, like a snapping sound. It went and flew right by my face, and that snapped me right into game time mode. And we come in there. And we it's start like snow, chucking snow them. And, salts right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it dialed me right in. I was engaged, and I smoked them with a just a pie in the face, and and TKO'd him and dropped them. Wow. So and, so uh, how 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 hyped up does the bench get for something like that? I mean, you're talking about the guy that they want you to go after for the in the first place, and you go after him right away, and you get right to him, and that has to energize your team like crazy. Man. 
I had guys talk to me later and they're like, they didn't even know who I was. Cause I was sitting right behind the coaches. Like, you <laughs> know, they thought I was a new trainer on the team or something. You know, like I literally just got on the bus, didn't say anything. I was, had my earbuds in first shift. This happens. And, and I served my five minute sentence and I come back to the bench and there was this moment where they were all, they were all looking at me. There's like, it, everything slowed down. Everyone was just kind of looking at me. I kind of looked around at them. And like you've obviously may have heard my mic'd up videos. I used to cuss like a, a sailor when I was playing. But I looked over at him. I looked at the team, and I just said, "Well, f that guy." And they all kind of went, "Yeah, that's awesome." And you know, literally from from that moment, I was a Boston. I was a, a Bruin, you know. And yeah. the team embraced me. And uh, Bruce had talked about it before. How once I got there, the team played a little bit taller and a little bit tougher, you know, because they had they knew they had me out there, and I was going to go to war for them. And that's really how it happened. I packed for a week and, and just never left and just kept signing contracts and, and really established myself in that league. And there was just something about it. You know, the the um, the Bruin fan base in, in Boston and coming from Lowell, you know, I had a fan base there. Wherever I played, the fans just really took to me. I think it's, you know, obviously I was aggressive and I had some huge hits and then, you know, some fights, but... I just always, I, I like to think that I just always played with my heart on my sleeve and was never, you know, never the best player, but nobody was going to outwork me and nobody was going to out hit me. And, you know, you might be tougher than me, but I'm going to go in there and I'm going to chuck him. I'm going to chuck him, you know, toe to toe. And for whatever reason, the fans just always embraced that. And there was something about Providence that it became my, my second home. And I love playing in the dunk. And like you said, you experienced that there was something special happening there. How can you not root for a guy like like Bobby Robbins? I mean, this guy's willing to go out there and stick up for his teammates, you know, do anything that it takes. He knows that he's not the most skilled player on the ice, but you know, listening back and and thinking about all the things that he said, it's like that's those are the guys that you want on your team and in your locker room and on your bench. You always need at least one or two guys that are like that. You don't need to have all the skill in the world if you're contributing in other ways and Bobby was always doing that or I mean <clears throat> even just allowing other people to be themselves more you know right just just your presence alone allowing people to play better in their own realm obvious positive to the locker room you talk about the death of the grinder and uh you know wait, wait, I Bobby called himself a power forward I'd like to call him power forward you know he's 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 just a tough guy you know and he can yeah. play he can he still play hockey. He's not a. He's not go out and chuck him. He'll chuck him if he needs to. He'll police the game if he needs to. And um, you know, it's it's just one. Of, he's he's filled one of my favorite roles in hockey. Are those guys? You know, and it's just like, it's the off stat like off the stat sheet positive influences. Um, that it's just so fun to hear about. And I I really would, you know, we talk about whether this is starting to trend out of the game or not. And I I hope it's not. You know, I, I, I really find that to be one of the more interesting roles in all of professional sports. Yeah, and Bobby's one of those guys that it's just that is the role that of the player that you and I love. I mean, we've talked about that so many times on this yeah. podcast, and yeah. it seems like the that's, guys that's that are like, yeah, the, the players right. that we really love or that we grew up watching or that were really tough always seem to be our favorite players, amongst other ones as well. Obviously, we talk about finesse guys that we love too with. Sergey Samsonov and Bergeron and Martian and all those types of guys too. But, you know, the tough guys are the ones that really stick up for for the other guys to allow them to be the players that they need to be. So, you know, there's I, something about when they when you stick up for the whole team, 
when you're the, you know, for lack of a better term, and the age falls wherever, wherever but the role is kind of like a big brother, you know? Sure. Oh, it's like I can go out there and do my thing because, you know, no one's going to come for me too hard because my big brother's got my back. Right. It's it's just, it's it's the best. It's 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 it, it makes you feel much more that that guy is the big brother of the city. It, you represent the team in the city so much harder when you're that position. Somehow more than goals and assists. Well, I mean, you me. heard it. It's just like, that's why, and, and, and to Boston, I really think, I, I believe that to Boston. You, you know, you heard a lot Cassidy. more people are, are, are calling for the for the days or, or longing for the days of PJ Stock and, you know, Sean Thornton than talking about, you know, and, and God, God bless him, Mark Savard. Or even Krejci, you know, like yeah. it, it just it, it has a different impact to the city. Specifically, I do think of Boston, but I think of organizations in general. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You heard what you heard what Cassidy said to him of basically like, you know, the, the team stood a little bit taller when Bobby was on the bench because he allowed players to be exactly. what they needed to be. And they knew teams knew that they couldn't take liberties against Providence or whoever when players like him are on the bench so i i'm with you i hope it i hope it never leaves the game but i can't say i'll ever walk away from hockey but man it would be different right and if all these undertow leagues are going to keep the scrap involved you and i might you and i might have a new team that we do this podcast about yeah right we'll <laughs> be providence episode 400 this is going to be the celtics yeah providence season ticket holders Boston Bruins. yeah dude, i'm moving back yeah i'm moving back but to rhode island well, speaking of tough guys, I mean, as I said, we've always been kind of drawn to these guys who help keep the team from getting walked on and make sure that they stick up for their teammates and allow them to play their roles. You know, we had Chris Nyland on here, too. I, when I yeah. started this podcast or when we started this podcast, we each made goals. And one of my goals for this podcast was to obviously have fun interactions with people and get some guests on here to tell us their stories. But, you know, I had this goal of wouldn't it be cool to talk to somebody who has their name on the Stanley Cup and who's won a Stanley Cup? Like it doesn't necessarily have to be on the Bruins, but somebody who's won the Stanley Cup and not to mention an actual legend in the game of, of hockey. I mean, Chris Nyland is a legend. You know, we, we represent these teams because they're what we know most. And, yes, we'll say at the end of the day we are absolute idiots, but these are the teams we follow. Sure. You know, and, and we follow these teams because we love these sports. And if you love hockey, you would want to talk to anybody whose name is on the Stanley Cup with the exception of Matt Cook. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and it doesn't even matter. You know, obviously, Chris Nyland played for Montreal for the majority of his career. He's a Boston guy. He played for the Bruins as well. None of that really matters. the The fact is that we had him on here to hear his stories. Also, he's from Boston area, right? right exactly. Yeah. We had him on here to hear his stories, and he did not disappoint. Just the fact that we actually got to talk with him and hear some stuff from him was something that I never thought that I'd get the opportunity to do. So, after that season, you played parts of two more seasons with Montreal before you were traded to the Rangers, and then inevitably you were you ended up back in Boston. So. I, yeah. I guess my question is about Boston. Was that sort of like a bittersweet moment, or was that kind of like a dream come true for you? Well, it was a dream come true, but it, yeah, when I look at it now and I look back and in, in, in the reality of it was, is I was 34 years old. I was, you know, well, when I got there, I think I was 32, late 32, 
almost 33, and I was beat up pretty good. I got injured quite a bit. I broke my arm a couple of times. I hurt my knee again. Um, you know, I broke my ankle when I was in Boston, but that's another story. But, you know, I was beat up a little bit, and it was it was near the end, and that's difficult to come to grips with when you're an athlete. Um, uh, coming to the realization that you've lost uh, a little bit uh, as far as your fastball, you know, that dreaded half step, and I was getting it, and uh, I still did my job, you know, I fought for my teammates, I, I played to the best of my ability at the time, but it was a little late, and uh, I still remember the first night there, it was um, quite a night to um, uh, come home to the hometown crowd, who cer- certainly was against me when I was in Montreal, but <laughs> I remember that night, uh, Ray Bork, and I said, God, relax. You're all nervous. You've been in the league long enough. You could be. I said, well, yeah, I'm just a little nervous about how this, the fan base is going to react when I come on. He said, oh, come on. They're going to accept you just fine. And they did. I'll never forget coming out that night. Uh, it was quite a feeling for um, a kid who was certainly the villain who grew up in Boston. And then you come home and they accept you like they did. Uh, it's a, a moment, honestly, in my career I'll never forget. You know, it's funny because there's a lot of players, I think, in the league that are like that even currently. You know, players that you hate to play against, but if they were on the other team or if they were on your team, you're rooting for you, love to have them. So, I mean, I think that that's, that's, a great, that's great advice from, from Ray Bork to basically tell you, like, look, you're, you're here now. You're home. This is they're going to love you because they know the type of player you are, and and the best part is we don't have to play against you anymore. Yeah, uh, well, I'm, I know that for sure <laughs> uh, because it wasn't fun to play against, and that's the way it should be. I mean, you know, I always admired Ray Bork, uh, respected him, but uh, when it came time to playing, I played hard against him. I didn't, I wasn't dirty against him. Yeah, uh, like most most players. Uh, I, I, I usually left the good guys alone. And uh, the one incident I had was with Rick Middleton, which probably if I could have taken one thing back in my career, it was that. But it happened, unfortunate uh, for him and me. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've moved past that. I've talked to him about that. And uh, he's cool with it. Uh, I'm cool with it. It's behind us. Uh, we've launched since made up and uh, are actually friendly uh, to each other today. So for those people who don't know what you're talking about, could you explain that just a little bit? Well, as an incident, uh, we'd come together in the corner, stick him up, hit me in the helmet. I wasn't too happy with it. Um, I don't think he really remembers that incident, but if you watch the game, you can see it in the corner. There was no penalty called, and I was kind of pissed off at the referee. And him a little bit um, and he was coming back up the ice and I turned back at him and I had my stick in my glove my top hand was over the top of my stick the way I usually carried my stick and I turned back and I hit him right in the jaw with my glove, the back hand of my glove and I jawed his false teeth loose, it went through his lips and he was bleeding and I knocked him dizzy a little bit and and um, it wasn't soon after that that Jay Miller got called up. Um, it's not like they didn't have enough tough guys to begin with, but they called Jay up too. So they had Curran, Miller, uh, you know, all of them. So, you know, it was just 
another guy to fight when Jake came up. But yeah, so I got suspended eight games for that. And uh, yeah, I paid the price, and uh, I paid the price on the ice too, uh, which I was willing to accept, and I did. Tim, I think I said this to to Nyland when I talked to him on that episode, but can you even tell me another sport aside from maybe MMA and boxing where you could bash somebody's teeth out or hit them in the face or like knock them out and then eventually just be like pals? No. <laughs> I mean, MMA and boxing I think is it. Yeah. Um and and well, well, 80s NBA. Okay. You know. <laughs> but from from what I see for the most part, those 80s NBA enemies still hate each other. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. You know? I mean, point in case the last da- uh, the last dance, I mean, MJ hates Detroit. He right. hates all of those guys forever. Um I think it's beautiful when you can make up, but I think there's a lot of rivalries in hockey that live on through that as well. Uh, but no, I, I certainly can't name another sport where, yeah, I mean, point in case the guys don't don't cool down. <laughs> I mean, the big th- there was never any violence, but the big three still hates LeBron, right? <laughs> you know, like some some people just never get along. Some sports just never get along. But I, I think that just speaks to the respect involved with the violence in hockey, right? And how it is it's such a physical game, and it is so violent, demanding, and like how can that not? ramp you up and adrenaline not kind of steer you a different way another thing i want to say about nylon that i think is so effing scary about him and i mean this in a positive way was that like he was <laughs> i was always i always played hard against the good the good guys yeah meaning you know and then he, he clarifies he goes i wasn't dirty against the good guys meaning anyone else was gonna get it was gonna get whatever he felt like throwing at him that's terrifying man i i, I and <laughs> you know I, I don't advocate dirty play but just that mentality is barely in the league anymore, you know. Oh yeah, like it's it's just it it, it was a different era. And um, the other thing I want to say about that clip that is so interesting is, um, you know, he compared it to losing losing your fastball a bit, uh, but like losing that step and what that means in hockey and how you must see that and like how you I don't know this is maybe I'm getting way too phil- philosophical here, but like kind of just coping with age. It was just really interesting to hear even just his tone towards that time because you could still feel the gravity of it in his voice right. like it's it's just such a hard thing to go through it's one thing when you're throwing a ball and the miles per hour is dropping you know it's got to be another when like you're the ass kicker who's starting to get his ass kicked a lot right so i mean just just a fascinating era in general that you and i were too young for really when he was playing um but but just fascinating to learn about nowadays sure you know, I'm glad you bring up uh, basketball a little bit just a few seconds ago here because one of my absolute favorite episodes that we did on this podcast was talking with the Boston Brit. Dude, we got to get him back. We and absolutely also, he, have to get he him still back. still should be doing graphics for the Celtics. Right. And you can quote that. And I hope that that happens coming up. But he had some awesome stories and the way that he told them, you know, were, were was great. The story Man. that he told us about being on TV with Scal. That was, that was just... It may be one of my... It, it is one of my favorite stories of that anybody has told us on this podcast. Is that the one we got loaded up right here? That's what we got coming Let's up. Let's go. And, I love that. And also, when he told us about his experience of getting to go onto the parquet and 
as he says, kiss that dusty ass floor like Paul Pierce. Uh, I loved all that too. So he was such a great guest and I, I would love to have him back on, but we should, we should hit him up. He seems to be doing fantastic things. Absolutely. Let's hear, let's hear that clip from that episode. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about was your, you know, as you said, you took a couple trips to the TD garden, but I, I saw basically one of the trips that you would come here was pretty cool, man. Like being on the court and court side and being interviewed by Scal and all this kind of stuff. So, so maybe we can talk about that a little bit. What, how did that come about? Or did you just come over here as us, as a Celtics fan to come see a game? And it just, like you said, lucked into something or how'd that happen? No, so it all kind of started when I went to the Celtics 76ers game in London. So I stood outside the hotel, like a weird little creepy guy <laughs> with a Kyrie Irving jersey, you know, waiting for Kyrie to sign the jersey kind of deal. So we've all been there. I, <laughs> the only reason I knew about them staying in a certain hotel is because I'd been in that hotel before I'd stayed in that hotel. So, you know, I was quite lucky in the sense that when they were arriving, obviously they posted and I saw, uh, you know, they're at this hotel. So I went there, stood there, etc. And then I, I met a guy called Alex. Uh, his name's Alex, Alex, Alex Herco. And he said, look, would you be up for doing a interview for, you know, would do, we want to do like a fanatics kind of international fanatics fan piece for Celtics, um, for the, you know, some, for some original content. And I said, yeah, absolutely. That'd be amazing. And ever since then, you know, me and him have been, you know, we've become really good friends and, you know, this is when I when I came over to the Toronto to the Toronto game. That's when I got to uh, be on with Kyle and Scal. And Kyle, I had already met anyway because he messaged me because uh, he said he was coming to London. So Alex kind of Alex got me the tickets to the game, and then the, on the flip side of it, getting on NBC was Kyle came over to London that summer. And he said, look, it'd be great to do a little Celtics fan meetup if if possible. So I put the feelers out there and then there was about, you know, 30, 30 of us, something like that, who um, kind of sat down and they got to ask Kyle some questions. And yeah, it was, it was a really cool day. And then I was driving Kyle back to his to his hotel in central London. And I said, and he said to me, like, you know, when when, it, when you come over, how do you how do you feel about coming on NBC with, with me and Scal? And I said, wow. I said, yeah, that'd be amazing. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Uh, obviously, I didn't think he meant it at the time. I thought he was just being nice. <laughs> he is such a nice guy as well. I thought he was just being nice. And he said, look, when you land, when you come out, when you land, drop me a message and we'll get you on. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, cool. So flew out there, landed, dropped him a message. I said, oh, Carl, it'd be great to meet up, maybe have a drink and stuff after the game or whatever. And he goes, yeah, do you still want to come on with me and scout? And at that point, I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, cool. I was like, what are you going to ask me? <laughs> Obviously, national, yeah. like, live TV. Right, right. Live TV is, I'll tell you what, live TV is no joke, right? It's no, no joke. But are you allowed to swear on your podcast? Are you allowed oh, to yeah. swear on Oh, oh yeah, yeah, go nuts. Oh, dope. cool. Right, because I was fucking shitting myself. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was sweating. I've never sweat so much oh, in my life. Lucky I had my jumper on, because, I mean, underneath, it would have been an absolute atrocity, honestly. But, um, so I took... The funny story is, right, I turned up to, to TD, got upstairs, um, and they said, look, right, stand stand here. Uh, I stupidly asked the question of the woman behind the camera. I said, oh, how many people are going to watch this? And she went, oh, millions. I'm like, oh. 
at, at that point then that's when my stomach fell in my ass and i was it was <laughs> it was horrible it was horrible i sat there and carl and scal both looked at me they were like are you good so you you're right and i was like yeah yeah i'm good i was like, a little bit nervous and they were like scal goes oh, don't worry i got you i got you and i was like okay cool and then the rest is history, really. And he seems like uh, a great guy too. I, I don't. I've never met him, but he seems like he's a really, really great guy to know as well. Oh, he's such a bull buster. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. I believe he's, that. Uh, he's, he's a he's a great he's a great guy. He's a good guy. And I think <laughs> that, you know, like, they, that breeds through in his broadcasting. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the ball busting is clear. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Is, he's a nice guy. He's yeah. I mean, I've been like I said, I've been very, very lucky, and you know, I'm. I'm yeah, I'm just I'm very blessed of what I've been able to do. So when you came over here before, you know, like as you said, you kind of felt like, yeah, he's just being nice. Who knows that that's actually going to happen? Did mm. you have s- tickets already bought for the game, and then they upgraded you, or how did that go about? So that that was a different trip. So that oh, okay. was a year before. Um, so just after the Celtics played in London. I then went out to the final uh, regular season game against the Brooklyn Nets. And that's obviously I knew Alex then. So yep. Alex was just doing some filming. Uh, we had his, so he had his season tickets. So I got to, you know, we had his, me and my fiance, we had his seats. So we were sat in them just about, you know, soaking in the pregame atmosphere. Yeah. And Alex come up and said, oh, do you want to come on the court? Come on the court. We'll take some photos. So I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's amazing. Um, the one thing I do regret about that is I, I, I kissed the parquet like Paul Pierce. Yeah, I, I I physically put my lips on that dusty <laughs> ass court, and honestly, it was the most disgusting thing ever. But it's something which I'll never forget. But it's a great and picture. Hey, I, it's, I, it's such a good picture. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I have I have got it printed, and it is in my office at the moment. Um, and it's yeah, it's something that I'll always I'll always remember. Not a lot um, of people can say that. No, exactly, and I, that's like I said, like I'm you know super lucky with that. But as we got on the court, they're taking the pictures, etc. And we were just about to leave to go back up to our seats. And um, Alex handed my fiance Holly uh, a pair of the floor seats. So obviously I was completely oblivious at the time. And I was looking around to be fair. I had a basketball in my hand. And I was like, look, you know, I know the guys are warming up on either end, but <laughs> I, I was so fucking tempted just to run and just do a layup just to say that I'd scored a basket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, obviously I didn't do that because I would have been rugby tackled. But, yeah. <laughs> but he turned around. I turned around, Holly passed me the tickets and I looked at them. I was like, what the hell are these? And floor seats. Wow. Honestly, blue, you know, they are ridiculously expensive, those seats. Right. And yeah, I turned yeah. around and I looked and I said to Alex, I was like, you, d- you didn't buy these, did you? Like, what, what, this is mental. This is crazy. Honestly, the best, the best, best experience I've ever had right there. That whole night was unbelievable. And the, the worst thing was right is that my fiance that was her first ever basketball game yeah uh, first ever never gonna so the it. fact that she was courtside <laughs> yeah. watching the Celtics on her first ever basketball game you know wh- whenever I go with her again now she's be like are we not sitting on the floor then yeah right <laughs> so Alex set up the ex- uh, the you know, expectations the levels are high for that now but no um, um, it was unbelievable yeah man we definitely have to get the Boston Brit back on He's fucking, oh my God. That's the <laughs> hardest I've ever laughed at one of our episodes. Yeah. I, I, so, I, get out my ass. Oh my God. Sorry for doing your voice, but God, 
It's fucking it's so good. It's I so stand good. by that being one of my favorite episodes because of, you know, just the the way that he tells those stories just gets me every time. One thing I want to um, address in that, and, and, you know, again, shout out to the Boston Brit, and to hear that story firsthand, it's just, it's envy all over again. It's jealousy all over again. Uh, so, such a cool experience, and he definitely deserves it. I want to shout out Kyle Draper. Uh, who left NBC Boston a bit ago uh, and is now in Sacramento, I think, doing the, the games for them. Uh, the color, uh, play-by-play, actually, I think he's doing it for them. In, in re-listening to that story, just what a diplomat of the game. In such a small, small way, hitting up the Boston Brit to say, hey, why don't we get a bunch of people together while the Celtics play in London and just have a little like question and answer like talking session. You got 30 people together. And he still did that. And then he he stuck to his word to invite the Boston Brit back. Those are just small things that extend this game around the globe. And right. you, know, you and I both believe these are both the sports that we cover are beautiful sports, and that they should be more global than not. Um, and you know, NBA is definitely somewhat lacking in Europe in ways. You know, it's big in a few countries. It's big. I don't know. It's big in a lot of countries. But again, I just I just think in in terms of people caring to watch, it's not as big. There's a lot of people who play it. There's a lot of different leagues. But to just extend like that and to make yourself available like that as, you know, sure, he's just the coverage guy for the Celtics, but he's the coverage guy for the Celtics. Um, Right. Much like, you know, to shout out another great guest of ours, Billy Jaffe, it's just incredible when people give the time like that to expand the game and to lend their knowledge and everything like that. So I just want to say, you know, obviously, thank you, Boston Brit. We've got to have you back on. That was uh, one of my favorite episodes of date. But shout out to Kyle Draper in, in re-listening to that. I feel like I kind of missed it in the moment. Also, so sorry for being on Zoom audio for that, guys. Uh, my bad. <laughs> no, I mean, I agree with you. That's, it's the little things that really go a long way, especially for people that don't necessarily get to go to games or don't necessarily get to be in the market of their favorite teams or whatever. It's just it's really cool to see people doing that, doing things the that they continent. don't they don't necessarily have to do. Yeah. Or the same continent even. I mean, it's, yeah. it's awesome. Shout out to the boss of Brent Kyle Draper. Yep. Shout out another guy that I, you know, I really appreciate that has been our only, uh, guest that has come on twice. That isn't a friend. I should say that, or, uh, you know right. what? Right. I would say that he's a friend now, but I would too. Ryan Spooner came on the podcast, gave us an insight of what, you know, this, he played a bunch of games with the Bruins. I mean, he, he played a significant amount of games with the Bruins, came up through the system. Um, and he gave us the time of day to talk about during, during your and my heyday of of like loving the Bruins, you know, we're right right. off the cup win and like, we really want this team. Let's do it again. And everything like that. We watched a lot of Spooner games and loved a lot of Spooner games. Sure. And, 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 you know, You'd see his number, or you'd see his his name in the statistics a lot, and yeah, it, it was it was a crazy get to have him on and to have him come back, uh, and I'm sure we'll get him again. It's just you know, love Ryan Spooner. Yeah, and the other thing too is like he was always on a different time zone every time that we talked to him. And it was yeah he's 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 in Belarus right he's in Belarus not, he's in you Russia and I are three like hours apart which we complain about all the time and <laughs> the three of us somehow locked him down one time right 
Yeah, no, I mean, he, he's a great guy. He was an awesome guest, and we'd love to have him. And, you know, we tried to get as much information out of him as possible. We probably could have asked him a million questions and gone on for hours and hours. But, you know, what we did get to ask him and talk to him about, he really was pretty thorough and thoughtful in his answers, and it was super appreciated. So, you know, I, I'm, I can't wait to, to talk with him again and just, you know, every time we have him on, it just seems to get better and better. So going back to the first time that we had him on and we talked about, you know, his time in Boston, it was great. Are there any specific Bruins? Is there a game or anything that you remember specifically, you know, like a comeback game or, or something that you participated in that you feel like was one of the, the best games or memorable things in your career? Um, so when I got called up, it would have been my third season. I was playing on the line with Lucic and Pasta. And um, I remember we were probably like a handful of games out, out of the playoffs, maybe like four to six points or something like that. And I remember I was there for 24 games at the end of the year. Uh, we ended up missing the playoffs, I think, by one point, or we might have actually tied the wins. I think they might have won their last game. We both had 95 points. I remember that stretch because the team was playing well. Um, the line I was playing on, we were also playing well. And that's the season that I played in where the following year was my first full season up. So um, I just remember that. It was about two months uh, where the team was playing well. We were winning a lot of games. And it, it was just fun to be a part of. It was, it was a good feeling. Um, when you're kind of winning games and you're getting back into the playoff hunt and all that kind of stuff, it was just like fun to be a part of. And I, I was young and I was like trying to work my way into the lineup. And um, that's definitely something, or like a stretch that I definitely remember um, from when I was younger. That's awesome. Was there anyone specifically? So I always wonder this stuff too was there anyone specifically that you remember playing with that you felt like you really clicked with or that you felt like you had a lot of good chemistry with going into the full season or the almost full season after that um, anybody that you feel like you played very well with well I'd say like my best time came when I played on line with pasta um, that's probably because he's one of the best players in the league but <laughs> um, he was he was pretty young at the time he, he was only 20 so uh, he was still trying to find his kind of way in the league and he wasn't scoring as much. And, um, but me and him, we, we seemed to click and, uh, and then the fact that we had Luch there too, he, he would go to the front of the net and he, he was good on the cycle and he, he was somebody that we both kind of looked up to and he would help us out with a bunch of stuff. So I'd probably say that that's kind of a line that I enjoyed to play on. And then when I played with Kretsch too, um, again, he's not hard to play with, uh, he slows down the game, and he can make and he can make plays and all that kind of stuff. So um, I'd probably say those those two guys or three so guys. Did you see those... Pasta's success coming from a mile away? Like, are, are, is any part of you like, wow, he's he's exceeded my expectations, or did you see this coming Honestly, from playing with him? Yeah, because the first year I played with him, he was like, he was really skinny. Um, he he was just a kid. He spoke a little bit of English, and he made a lot of mistakes in his first year. Um, again, because he was, I think, 18 or 19. But you could see that he could shoot the puck, and he could skate, and he could make, he could make all like the fancy plays and all that kind of stuff. 
what have I said at that time? He's going to be one of the best goal, one of the best goal scorers in the league. No, I, I probably wouldn't have said that, but um, I'm happy that I'm wrong because he's he's a fantastic kid and um, he's done extremely well for himself. So uh, it's really good to see. One other thing that I had to ask Spooner while he was on um, the episode was about the trade. You know, it was something that I was very curious about on how that went down and what he thought of it and what the details were of that trade, him leaving Boston, going to the Rangers. And it's it's a tough situation because he was a player that I loved and, and I felt like he didn't really get, he got a lot of bad, like a lot of fans were all over him for not being something that he wasn't. You know, people expected him to be like a pasta or like a Sagan type of player and that wasn't what he was going to be. And also, it it wasn't what we necessarily needed him to be. Right. I feel like the expectations were too high for what, what yeah, what we needed out of Spooner, you know, uh, and that I don't think that was ever fair at all because he could have been a very, very productive part of this team. Or, like, hey, he was. I think he was a very productive part of this team. I think people would just see flashes and run with them and, like, I don't know. It, it's just, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, and think about what he's saying, too, in that last clip there where he's talking about Lucic and Pasta. That was still when Lucic was on this team. We were never going to have Spooner as a top six forward on the team. Like, right now, he probably wouldn't even be a top six forward. I would imagine that he would be a pretty solid player on our third line. And that's good because that's what you need. You need that depth and you need everything. And I think that he got a bad reputation from a lot of people on for that wasn't really warranted and wasn't necessary in 2018 you ended up getting traded to the rangers and you know up to this point you had basically spent your whole career in boston well the organization whether it be providence or in boston so did you have any feeling going into that 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 was coming or was that kind of did that kind of blindside you a little bit I had zero idea. We were in Buffalo and I was napping and Sweeney came, came to my room and he, he basically told me that I was, I was going to be playing that night for the Rangers. Uh, I didn't hear a single word about it. It's kind of funny because the years in the past, I heard tons of stuff about me, me being traded here or there and I never got traded. And the one year that I didn't hear one thing, I ended up getting traded. Um, it, came as a surprise to me I, I was I was upset because I I was enjoying the year I was playing on a really good line the team was doing well and then I had to move and all that kind of stuff it's, it's not um, it's not fun to do but it's part of the job and you have to kind of be ready for it and um, I did well for the rest of the year there um, but if I could go back in time I would rather not have been traded because it's uh kind of when my career um, kind of fell off of a cliff, I guess you could say. <laughs> See, I don't necessarily understand. I, I don't agree with him saying that his career kind of fell off a cliff because he still had good, he still played well in New York and he did, you know, he played in Edmonton and I know that the very end of his NHL career wasn't exactly what he wanted it to be, but you know, I really wish that it had gone differently for Spooner, whether that was with Boston or with a different team. I think that he had a lot more to give to the NHL, and 
You know, I asked him about that. We've asked him about that, about coming back or making any sort of potential comeback. But I think that he feels pretty confident where he's at now and comfortable and, you know, good for him. I'm glad. But I wish that it had gone differently in the NHL. You talk about, you know, just just making pro sports as a whole. I don't know if anybody, I, I believe you have at some point, watch Hard Knocks and, you know, these guys who don't get drafted and then year in and year out they get very close. Then you look at the NHL where there's a guy like Ryan Spooner who's useful, who puts up statistics and useful minutes and is, you know, at worst, a solid third liner. You know, at worst, I really I really believe that. You can stick him on the fourth if you want. He's but a second liner on certain teams. I think, yeah. I mean, really. Uh, especially when you look at the gamut of the NHL across the board. He was on a good Bruins team. Right. He was on a good Rangers team. Imagine the players that he's trying to beat out for one of those top six spots. Why is he like? Why can't he get a, a contract on the Coyotes and stuff? Like it's just the NHL is so unique in that in that way, in in the sense that there's guys who I agree with you, and I, I don't know that you totally said this, but I believe you were kind of getting towards it. Ryan Spooner could have had an, his entire career be in the NHL. Sure, his entire professional hockey career could have been in the NHL. And I think there's just weird, fluky stuff that happens, and it's, you know, I think he took it on the chin. I think the trade really set him back. I think the trade really messed with him because he was feeling types of way, and he didn't really, he doesn't, he still to this day doesn't see the writing on the wall. But yeah, I, I think Ryan Spooner right now could still be useful in the NHL. I agree. Um, and it's just, for him to open up with about that with us was so eye-opening to me. And it just it, it really does just show how cutthroat trying to be a professional athlete is. Yes, he's doing well. Yes, he's making tons of money. Uh, it, it was interesting to hear, even hear just his disdain towards moving. Like, because imagine you or you or I, we we don't have the luxury of being able to pick wherever we're going to live. And then you think of professional athletes who have to who like get traded, maybe have to sell their home or apartment that they're at, and then have to if they don't do that and they keep that one, still have to rent a new one. It's, it, it's it's fascinating to me that like yes this guy is is fine and successful but he was still shorted to me yeah like he still got shorted somewhere along the line and i don't understand why and i don't think he deserved it and it's just kind of like a little bit of the dark pitfalls of professional sports and i'm glad he's happy now and i think he's killing it but man just for him to be so candid with us uh and to talk about you know Something that still seems to be something that very much affected him. I, I I'll, I'll forever appreciate that. It, just another interview where I went in. I, I I was shocked that I wasn't shocked, but like you know, you and I wanted to get guys that we wanted to get, and when we started getting guys we wanted to get, it blew our minds a little bit. And to not only get Ryan Spooner on the podcast once, but also twice, and then probably have a future with it, and have him open up in such a you know, that's that's your that's your ultimate that's got to be one of his ultimate things in life, you know, that, that like just gets him or like pisses him off or upsets him or whatever it can be. And, and to open up about it like that, I'm I'm just so grateful. That's just like one of the, like, I, I know we're doing the highlights here of the hundredth episode, but you know, it, it took a little bit for us to warm up with, with Spooner. And once he did, it was just, it, it was so rewarding. And I, it just gave me so much perspective for any professional athlete in any sport. And, uh, I, I wish him I wish him the best. I can't wait to have him back on again, you know, talking bees and whatnot. But that one was that was 
you know, for us, I, I think as guys like, yes, we, we wanted PJ, we wanted Bobby, we, we wanted Neyland, all these guys. But for us to, to get a guy that we were watching not that long ago and we liked well, and, and just like hear his perspective currently, it was fascinating. And similar in age, like he's just a guy, like he he's is, just yes, a friend, exactly. you know, that's, that's like, a great point. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful for that guy. And, and I, I, I believe this, I believe he got shorted. I believe there was an opportunity for him before he went to the KHL somewhere, or there should have been. Obviously, there was not. Right. There should have been, and I don't understand why not. But for him to take that on the chin and be where he is today, it's powerful, man. It's it's really powerful. I, I have so much respect for Ryan Spooner, and I'm so grateful for him for enhancing our podcast, honestly. Me too, man. I'm very happy that he came on. And, it, again, it wasn't just a one and done. He came on again because – he had a good time on the first one, and so did we. And it was just about, you know, just talking and just hanging out. And it wasn't really us. You know, we weren't trying to get anything out of him. We just want to talk and, and hear his stories, and we got that. And he was, you know, he seemed more than happy to to tell us everything that he did, and we really appreciate all that. So, but you talk about – I like how about, you put it there. Uh, hold on. I like, real quick, I like how you put it there, though. We could have some sort of hot take happen on this podcast. It wouldn't matter. And I think there's so much like hot take media out there, and I'm not trying to pat us on the back at all, but just that we get real conversations out of this is just so rewarding to me. You know, we 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 get just real actual. It's, it's, they find their way to depth conversations out of these guys, and it's just you know it's it's just been a blessing. Absolutely. But you did mention earlier somebody else that we wanted to get on this podcast. This was this was maybe the top. And I think this is our top. Like maybe this is realistic. Probably not goal. Right. And and more so probably not. We were just. I think we were lying to each other a little bit, or to ourselves and each other a little bit. Well, when we started this podcast, I know I've said this before multiple times, but like we talked about people that we really wanted to get on here, and whether that was people that we were we respected, or we loved growing up, or we loved currently as players, or whatever it was. And we threw some names out there, and we specifically threw a name out there that we were like, this is never going to happen. But if it did, it would make, you know, 10-year-old us jumping for joy, like going crazy about being able to just meet or talk to this guy. And and that was PJ Stock. And we really got a lot of cool stories and information out of him, and he was he was nice enough to come on and talk with us and tell us all of this and kind of, again, he, he's going down memory lane with all the, the Boston stuff that we talked to him about too. But it was one that we thought was a super long shot and it was really fun to be able to get him to do that because it was a, it was a real achievement for us, not just in doing this podcast, but like we just got the opportunity to sit down and just talk with a guy that we really respected as a player and it really, I told him this too, really helped the both of us become hockey fans growing up. You know, like we wouldn't be the hockey fans that we are today had PJ Stock not been on the Bruins. You know, this is this is a torch carrier of, of Bruins hockey. Right. You talk about Bruins hockey, you talk toughness, you talk grinders, you talk fist throwing, tough guys. And yeah, we're talking about quote unquote little PJ Stock. I'd love for you to see him in an alley and call him little. We're talking about a, a a torch carrier, not just for us to introduce us to what Bruins hockey is, but to carry it on from the generation before. It was incredible that month. Incredible. 
I mean, you talk about tough guys. You talk about the Bruins. There's nobody tougher than PJ Stock. 100%. And we had to ask him about it. Let's uh let's talk about coming to Boston. I mean, obviously yeah. this is this is a franchise where in a city specifically where, you know, they love the style of play that you you played. I mean, the, the, we're talking we can go back to to Terry O'Reilly and Cam Neely and even before that too. I mean, this is just sort of a place that seems like a perfect fit for your style when you came here. And did that yeah, and feel you want to like talk about why you're at the top of our list too? It's just kind of the embodiment of the uh, quote unquote big bad Bruins. Yeah, it was um, it's funny, you know. It's it's just the mentality of the town, like it's very blue collar, and I think a lot of the people that come, I have zero, well, a little bit of talent. I didn't have much talent. So I don't want to call it zero point one. Um, and, and you're playing on a team that was just so good. And I think the reporters got tired of talking about Joe Thornton, Glenn Murray and Sean O'Donnell and Don Sweeney and Byron Defoe. And, you know, so like, okay, we've been talking about these guys enough. They keep scoring goals. What can we talk about differently? I got, you know, when a team's really successful, they start adding to some of the people. Uh, and I was lucky enough on, to be on the fourth line that year where they, um, you know, I got added into some cool conversations and a little bit more, notoriety comes to you a little bit more popularity because you're on a successful team and then you know I, I got into a couple of fights and it just I think people appreciated um the role that was different than a lot of the other guys a lot of the other everyone else was so good it was like hey look at that kid out there trying to play hockey isn't that funny isn't that cute look at the guy <laughs> kind of running around um and it was just Boston kind of embraced that uh blue collar or work ethic you know you mentioned all those other names you know they were great players as well but they worked and did the things that you know for a for a team to be successful we talked about sergey samsonov early it's to go outside the norm um and to do what has to be done for the team to be successful and i think they uh, appreciated the role that i i did with boston or whatever i tried to do in that role for boston well, nothing gets the crowd of of any arena really going like a hockey fight. So, I mean, obviously that's that's a big thing too, and that's what's unfortunate about there being less in the game these days is that, you know, a lot of people who don't really care for hockey will go because they think that they might see a fight. I know it's <laughs> it is totally that gladiator mentality. Like people used to like, I, and they've taken it out of the game for many reasons. Why we talked about the sure. discussions, yeah. So I, we we get it, um, but whether it's in basketball, baseball, any sport, people just love the that moment where violence breaks out. Uh, people like to watch NASCAR, watch cars go round in circle, just waiting for a crash. <laughs> right. Like that's, that's yeah. how we are. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, I never really did it just to do it. There was always a timing behind it. We're down a goal is this players following Joe Thornton around. How do I get their team to think about me instead of thinking about Joe Thornton? How do I get that guy off Joe's back? Um, you know, all, there's a reasoning behind all of it. The crowd's not into it, uh, whatever. Uh, so it wasn't like just I was going to ever just start a fight. There was uh, a, a reasoning behind it. Um, right. And it, uh, again, I was very lucky to play on a team that I played for and very lucky that the fans appreciated what I did. So you know that I have to ask you about the Stephen Pete fight because it's been still talked to talked about to this day as being one of those fights that if there was a top 10, I would imagine that it's probably on that list somewhere. And you, you know, you had fights on the Bruins before that. 
and you you know you fought him several times after that I think but I th- it feels like that kind of cemented the the it made you like a fan favorite for sure out there I mean that fight you could rewatch it on YouTube and and I will definitely be posting it when this episode comes out but you know it's it's one of those ones that you don't forget about and was there anything about that fight that you know caused it to go that way and obviously like i said you guys had a few fights after that was there a one, specific one rivalry before, no not at all except for i i knew the score was uh at six three at the time uh and i know exactly what my role would have been at that point uh we had just scored the building was rocking and their coach puts out uh Stephen pete uh, and was going to line him up against mike canubel and I, well, because I've watched it on YouTube, I can tell you everything about it, but I, I remember it. I, I remember all of them, which is funny how they all kind of started and, and a lot of those moments, but, uh, you know, I, I, I line up beside him just to kind of, I don't say a word. I don't say anything. I just wanted to see how he was going to react. And so I took, so to get Mike out of that situation and Darren Pang, does, first of all, it's a good fight, but Darren Pang and Steve Levy, the call is one of the best calls ever. The holding yeah. jump and everything. <laughs> they make it, it's like they make it sound so much better. Oh my God, and holy jumping. And they just sell it so much more than it was. Yeah, it was a good fight. But, um, you know, I should not have fought uh, if, if I think of the timing to give the team any momentum, take the wind out of the sails of our crowd at that point. I shouldn't have. Um, but, kind of hard it's kind of hard like i'm thinking that oh you're not going to try and do this to us right and you can even hear panger saying oh he, should, he doesn't have to do this right now you know the pj doesn't have to do this right now and it's like ah shit i'm in it so uh then it's just you know just don't go down just don't go down so it was uh it was it was a good fight uh no one really got hurt so amen to that. Uh, he was nice enough to only punch me about 50 times in the head. Um, <laughs> but uh, I survived it. Crowd enjoyed it. And uh, move on to the next whistle. Well, Tim, we did it. We made it 100 episodes. We had some awesome guests. I mean, we topped it off with a cherry on top of PJ Stock right there. One that we really never thought that we were going to get, but we did. And, you know, it, it's, it's only up from here. We have a lot. I agree, of- man. I, I really believe that. I, I cannot wait for the next 100, as we're saying, man. And I, I'm sorry if that's lame to hear in any capacity to anybody listening. But, God, that's so cool. Even just like I want to just break down the grinder, not the grinder, but the tough guy outlook between him and Bobby. It's just it, Bobby saying, you know, Cassidy told him that other guys were able to be more themselves. And, and you know, PJ recognizing that he's taking a specific player trying to take down a hot goal scorer. Right. He's distracting that guy away. It's just fascinating, man. We're just really digging into the sports that we love in ways that, you know, I, I think the people who stay with us and listen with us, you know, we're, we're, we're nerds. We're nerds for this stuff. And it, this is just the, the cool thing of it. And to, to hear it from the guys who did it, it's just, it, it's never, it's never how it seems until you get to talk to those guys and to, to be able to say, we've got to do it firsthand, man. It's I've, I've just, I'm so grateful for these hundred. Me too, man. And I know, you know, I have high hopes for the next hundred and I know you do as well. 
We definitely have some things that we want to... We got some big stuff cooking, too, yeah. Got some stuff cooking. We got some more guests that we want to get on. We're working on trying to get some of the people that, you know, we've talked about in the past that we would love to get on here, and some new people as well. Have a couple things, like you said, in the works of new guests coming up over the next couple months, I hope. And, you know, really trying to build this thing and keep going and, and grow it even more than we have already. I mean, 100 episodes is awesome, but... You know, why not 200 or or more? So I love doing it, and, and it's fun to be able to interact with you guys that listen to us and tell us what you think and let us hear your opinions on the interviews that we do and, and the players that a lot of people that listen to this love as well. So we, yeah, we try I mean, to get people built, on here that, that you're going to want to hear. Yeah. yeah, we've built this off conversation. Keep conversing with us. Right. Yeah, if there's a guy, if there's a, a player or a coach or a somebody that you would like for us to talk to, you know, we're always willing to talk to anybody, and we'll try to get people on here as well that we think everyone will enjoy. I'm excited, man. I'm excited, and um, just to just to you know walk, to walk down memory lane, like what we started this right before COVID. Yeah, I, I think it was the right? I think it was, it, it was the year at it the hit end it of the 2019. Ni- it was the fall 19 then where it hit. Yep. What a, what a weird time to document. <laughs> right. You know? But it doesn't feel like that. No. Because of these guests and because of everything like that. I I I hope for you guys as much as is and for you Andrew as much as it has been for me this has been a little bit of a therapeutic escape from the reality of the world we live in just to hear about the old times and hear about these people and hear about their perspective and their time and what it was like, but actually behind enemy lines and actually on the, on the forefront and everything. I just, uh, man, I love this, man. I, I I'm glad I can I hope you guys have enjoyed it the whole time as much as we have. And I, I'm just ready for the next hundred, man. This is, I, I think a little bit more than we set set out for originally, just just because we wanted to play it re- real, and you know now that we're catching stuff that we weren't sure we'd ever get, sky's the limit, dude. Let's go. Absolutely, I agree with you 100. percent I'm looking forward to doing more. And there's one last shout out that I would like to do because I think that it's very necessary for this podcast. Okay. So. It's been me and you this whole entire time, all 100 episodes, but it's also been our boys in Stretched. Oh, it sure has. It sure has. So man. we definitely need to shout out Stretched. And, you know, that's that's the, the band that does our intro, our outro uh, on every single episode. And, you know, we would be a very boring intro without them. Hundred percent. We couldn't cold open as well as as they ease us into. <laughs> Absolutely, and we appreciate them endlessly. And I will say, before the next two hundred are done, this is a guarantee we will have those boys on. And I will preface with they're not sports boys, but you guys got to talk to these guys. They're 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 a couple of my nearest dearest friends. Um, and uh, yeah, just for the for them to let us use this, it's it's been the soundage balcony chatter. It's it's been what brings us all into it. Thank you guys for sticking with it. Um. We love it, and and thank you, Stretch, for letting us use idea of you. By the way, I don't know how many times we put the name out there, but the song is called. It's by a band called Stretched, and it is the. Uh, it's not the. It's idea of you. There's only one. There's only one way to sign off a balcony chatter episode. Tim, who are we gonna send it to? Let's hear it from Stretch.
Thank you.